0: Welcome to Gin Spired, brought to you by the TheGinShop.ca. This podcast will take you on a journey into the world of gin, where you'll experience this versatile spirit in ways you never thought possible. Now the host of Gin Spired, Heather E. Wilson.
1: Hello and welcome to Gin Spired, where we talk about and celebrate everything about the wonderful Juniper-Lay spirit called gin. I'm your host, Heather e. Wilson, and on today's episode, I welcome Jeff Behringer, co-founder of Bruinwood Estate Distillery, located on Roberts Creek, British Columbia, Canada. And today we chat about how it all started, their philosophy on product development, and of course, their gins and other products, and so much more. Welcome, Jeff.
0: Well, thank you for having me.
1: Thanks for being here. So normally when we start episodes, we each share a cocktail, but today's going to be a little different because Jeff has surprised me with a cocktail that I have not had before and I've literally just made it and we are going to be tasting them together. So Jeff, why don't you tell everybody what's in it and then here we'll go.
0: Okay, well, this cocktail is a very simple cocktail. It's just a couple ounces of our feast gin with a tablespoon of espresso vodka. Okay. It's a classic martini. You might serve it with pickled onion and good to go. Very adult, very sophisticated.
1: All right, so let's give her a go.
0: You ready Cheers, by the way. Cheers.
1: Ooh, it's got almost a whiskey hint to it. Mm. And I can see... Why you said no ice initially, because this is definitely a sipping mm-hmm. cocktail, but I did bring ice too, just in case, because I like to try it both ways. <laughs> that definitely warms the cockles of your heart.
0: It does, doesn't <laughs> it? <laughs>
1: Especially for a breakfast martini.
0: <laughs> well, 7 a.m. my time, right? <laughs>
1: and it's still before noon my time, so it's very, very tasty, very complex. We're going to talk about what's in the feast gin in a little later. So everyone is watching. There is a very unique ingredient that I'm not going to spill the beans on just yet because I really want Jeff to tell us all about it. But really, taste. I could absolutely see having this, you know, happy hour just about any day of the week.
0: Yeah, the umami of that just lingers. Like my last sip was a few minutes ago, and I'm still just rummaging around my mouth and just. Still paying off.
1: It is. And even just the sniffing of it, right? Like you can absolutely. That's such a yummy smell to it.
0: <laughs> I don't have
1: technical terms because I'm not, <laughs>
0: not like that, but we did a lot of work in the wine business when we first got going in yeah. food and wine journalism. And I had to know how to talk about wine and discuss wine and compliment the winemakers on their wine. But we always had to be really, really careful about our opinions about the wine because of course we were journalists not critics right
1: (laughs) well i'm just a gin fan i guess and i have tried many many gins in my life and i it's really unique and i can honestly say i have not had a cocktail that tastes like this ever
0: we have gone out of our way when we started this distillery to do things in as fun way as possible and to try to come up with as many unique ideas as we can. We've gotten now over 50 different beverages that we've registered with the government and we've produce them sort of rotationally throughout the year, depending on our mood and demand and stuff like that. All of our recipes that we use for all of our different drinks are done off the top of my head. I don't write anything down. So the gin that you're drinking today, if I made another batch next week would be a little bit different. And Mm -hmm. each batch, it has its own character our largest batch at any given time is only about 200 bottles. So we're constantly turning them over and some stuff sells quicker and some stuff sells slower. It just sort of depends on the audience.
1: Right. Of course. Okay. So let's back things up a teeny bit before we get deep into product, which I really do because there's so many fascinating things that you are doing, but let's talk about you and your wife because you both founded the distillery together <laughs> yes, so yeah. were you always gin lovers like from way back or like what drew no, you no
0: actually did we you? weren't when we started this business we had been food and wine television producers for years and years and years and we did television series and for a lot of years we did our own stuff and then after a while we started working with other people and working for other people but during the early stages of our career, we spent a lot of time in wine country in the Okanagan Valley, both here in British Columbia and also out the Niagara region of uh, Ontario. And one time when we were in the Okanagan Valley, we met a winemaker who was very keen on Euro-style distilling. Like, he had been to Europe and he had seen the French cognacs and brandies and, you know, he experienced the Bavarian schnapps walk and had Slivovitz and, you know, polinka and all those really marvellous European things that you only ever hear about. And he was really excited about it because he could see that the Okanagan Valley was really ripe with the burgeoning wine industry and stuff to create the concept of distilling. But in those days, and we're talking sort of the late 90s, there was no route to craft distilling. You know, the only person who could do distilling was somebody who had a commercial license who was backed up by the federal government, and, you know, everyone else could essentially go to hell. Yes. And about 16 or 17 years ago now, or maybe even 18, several distilleries got together, or businessmen who wanted to run distilleries, and they approached the government. And the government basically listened to their argument that beer, wine, and spirits were all essentially the same thing. You know, one drink is equal to one beer, which is equal to one glass of wine. And the government sort of bought into that argument and they started releasing craft distillery licenses. By that point, we were starting to watch that. We thought, hey, you know, we really liked the idea of this, you know, Euro style distilling and it sounded all very romantic. And we wanted to do something other than television. So we decided to build the distillery. And so I did it in my backyard. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> craziness.
1: <laughs> it is craziness. So you already had the land.
0: We already had the land. Yeah. We've been living here for 20 years. we
1: so. important because you didn't want to have to buy more land. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you already had the land. So you built it in your backyard. And so did you just like start tiny and like with just experimenting for yourselves first before you decided to buy the big still? Cause basically- no,
0: we didn't, we went all in one day to the next when We, bought all our equipment. We populated the brand new distillery that we'd built. And we started working on day one. And we quickly realized that we bought all the wrong equipment we oh no. well in the garbage. The first few months were miserable. We couldn't convince a mash to ferment. We were working, you know, 14, 15 hour days for the piddly amount of alcohol. And all we were doing at the time was vodka. And it took us almost a full year to really get it together. We Swapped out our equipment with better equipment that was going to do the job for us. We figured out how to get a mash to ferment dry in four days. You know, all of those things you really need. And then we got hit by a series of social catastrophes in British Columbia, which included forest fires, floods, horrible pestilence and disease, you name it, it happened to us. But there's nothing a distiller loves more than social catastrophe. And we thrived through all of it. The forest fires, forced tourism from the Okanagan Valley up to the coast. And of course, we were here waiting for them. That really gave us a bump up the first year. Then COVID came along, which wiped out all the other businesses. So we were able to rise above that and we never stopped selling or tasting or anything we just kept on going all through that now we're sort of post-covid and just kind of looking at the next few years and wondering how we're going to sort of keep up the pace
1: (laughs) wow okay so where did the name
0: Bruinwood Estate come from well, I've always loved the idea of an estate. Yeah, me
1: That's too. I think I don't <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't need an estate, right? Everybody should have an estate.
0: <laughs> exactly. And I always loved the idea of estate wineries when we were working with the wine business. But for us, Bruinwood came because of our property. When we first bought the property 25 years ago, it was just trees, basically. And we've slowly sort of cleared it, built our house and stuff. And we have a lot of bears on this property. And even to this very day, I can walk out my front door and I'll see a sow and her cubs or a boar or... A couple of bears just wandering up and down our driveway. So they're ubiquitous in this neighborhood. And there are more bears per square kilometer where we live than anywhere else in Canada.
1: Wow. Um, Are we talking like black bears, grizzlies?
0: Yeah. And beyond grizzly now and again, but not down where we are. But we get a lot of black bears. Okay. Right now, I've got a sow and a couple of two-year-old cubs that live outside my back door. And every morning, we'll get up and pour ourselves a coffee and watch them wrestle and play and (laughs) <laughs> oh, they, they sound so
1: gentle but we know bears are not gentle generally
0: <laughs> no <laughs> we have to be very careful because yes. uh, we do have a lot of signs posted and we do actively discourage them now when we first lived here we didn't but now we'll go after them with bear bangers and we'll you know encourage them to move on because there's right. not too many customers yeah and they just don't know how to manage wildlife or what to do if they see it and stuff like that yeah, so,
1: they can go either way right they can absolutely. speak out or be like oh there's a cute little bear and trying to go <laughs> up to it which we all know wildlife nope don't be doing it
0: <laughs> yeah also we do a lot of other livestock here as well we do pigs and chickens and stuff so oh, we wow. do that. We have to protect them yeah, we do. Yeah. And bees as well. So all of those are attractive to bears.
1: Yes. So Bruinwood, I'm assuming, means bear wood. Bears
0: in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. Bears are in the woods. Quasi Dutch, quasi Euro style, completely made up. <laughs>
1: right. Hey, I love it. It's great. Okay. So back to your mash, you still make your own mash, correct?
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. Under BC craft distillery rules, if we want alcohol, we have to make it ourselves. I can't buy ourselves somebody else's alcohol. It's not really a restriction for us. And the other thing is, is that if you want alcohol fermented with British Columbia ingredients, so anything that we do is with grain or wheat or honey or fruit, all has to come from certified BC farmers. And that allows us to essentially encourage agriculture. Because mm-hmm. distilling is known as an agricultural business. It's not a commercial business or something. So it's really tied up with the idea of agriculture. And that's what allows us and gives us that craft designation, which gives us our advantage in the marketplace.
1: Right. So is most of your mash then grain-based or are you yeah. using fruit too?
0: Yeah, no, we do primarily a wheat-barley mix. So we're, we're, we're essentially making a wheat-based alcohol ethanol to start with. Yep. And then periodically, like we do a peach schnapps, which is made out of peaches, of course. We do a kirsch, which is 100% cherries. And I also do apple rye once or twice a year. And that's usually apples and rye, which is a nice flavor combination. But the vast majority of what we do is um, just wheat and barley.
1: Okay, cool. All right. So now let's talk about gin, your gin in particular. (laughs) We're going to talk about the feast last. Sure. Let's start with your signature and then move through the line, and then we'll talk about feasts.
0: gotcha. So, so we produce over about 12 to 15 different gins, depending ah, on I what did. time of the year it is. Oh, <laughs> we do a lot of gin. <laughs> and our thing is we never duplicate the botanicals. Oh, okay. So all gins, of course, have juniper coriander and either oris or angelica as cornerstone. So that's what you're going to get in your tanqueray or your Gordon's base and you know, your dog's body gin. So all of our gins start off with that but then we'll spin them off into different ways. So for example, our blackcurrant gin is only flavored with the botanicals that I think will go with blackcurrant. Our house gin is, you know, whatever botanicals we put into that one, pepper, elderberry or whatever, those we won't use in any of the other gins. So that way each gin has a very unique flavor component unto itself that doesn't compete with its brethren. Mm -hmm.
1: Awesome. Okay. So the other gin that you sent me was the Earl Grey gin.:
0: That's our bestseller.:
1: I am not surprised whatsoever, because it is amazing. Like you can definitely taste the Earl Grayness, the bergamot yep. for sure, mm-hmm. which I personally love a good Earl Grey tea, you know? So mm-hmm. I found it lovely just to drink meat, like I, I do. do yeah. not need to add anything to it.
0: It's such a pleasant gin and so smooth. And we got the idea when one of our customers came in one day and she said, Well, you know, dearie, I've been putting your gin in my tea. <laughs> I've done it. <laughs> I fully admit. For breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, well we're yeah. going with it. We started doing that's how we got going with the Earl Grey. But it has been so popular because it's got such a nice, soft, sweet flavor to it. And yet, there's no sugar in it. But all of our base alcohol, the ethanol that we produce with our wheat and barley, has a natural sweetness to it that comes through in all of our products. Absolutely. And a lot of people will ask us, you know, hey, do you have sugar here? And our thing is, no, actually, we don't. We really avoid sugar like the plague, especially in our gins and vodka. Because people don't want sugar,
1: fundamentally. a true gin lover does not want sugar in gin.
0: (laughs) No, we do another gin called the Joker Gin, which we call Joker Gin because it takes a joker to bring down an Empress. And Empress, (laughs) big thing out here in the West, is a blue gin that changes color, as does our Joker Gin. But they have too much sugar in it, and you know, again, you drink it and it's just sweet and. You know, the general populace likes that, but a true gin drinker who actually cares about, you know, what the gin maker has done isn't interested in something that's covered up. They want to taste what's in that beverage, even if there's a flaw in there, they want to know about it. Absolutely. All right.
1: Let's go back to your kind of gin philosophy. Now we talked about how no two gins are ever the same or use the same ingredients and you have a foodie kind of background. So do you use kind of your skills in food to think about the ingredients you're putting in your products? Or how do you approach that?
0: That's exactly how we do it. It's all about food. So since the time I was born, I've always been into food and wine. And alcohol is just one of those things that's naturally been part of my system. Even when I was like 14 years old, I was making wine and cooking. <laughs> so I've done that my entire life. And we've done food and wine as journalism for years and years and years. So I've been taught by some of the best restaurateurs in the country how to cook, basically. So I love flavor. And one of the reasons we got into distillation uh, over beer or wine is simply because making gin is more like cooking than it is anything else.
1: Absolutely. yeah. Right? So,
0: I can wake up in the morning time and I can take my raw ethanol and I can say, hey, today I'm going to make Earl Grey gin or today I'm going to make our house gin or today I'm going to make my blackcurrant gin or today I'm going to make my Joker gin. Once a year, we do a rhubarb gin that's super popular. And, you know, that allows me to get up and come up with a fresh idea every day and to make making the product fun. If I had to wake up every day and make the same thing over and over and over again, you know, that gets old really fast. right? <laughs> but by having this philosophy of like what tastes good or like, for example, last Christmas, this Christmas had just passed, we were having German Perfeffernus cookies, which are this delicious.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, I've had them.
0: They're scrumptious. Yeah. And Denise says, you know, this makes a great liqueur. So, hey, we produced a Perfeffernus liqueur Ooh. and it was a huge hit over Christmas time. We sold like, 300 bottles of it like that, right? So, you know, who comes up with an idea like that is because we're sitting there eating cookies, right? (laughs) Uh, A lot of the stuff that we do comes from either requests that our customers have, things that they're interested in tasting, or things that we've stumbled upon. We're just about to come out with a new liqueur made with Filipino yams called ube. Nobody else has done anything like that in Canada. It's craziness. It's this bright purple liqueur, but I can tell you it's delicious and people are going to go nuts for it. Same with the gins. You know, we'll take those ideas and we'll incorporate them into the gins and spin off different ideas. And we'll make a 200 bottle batch. And if it sells, we'll make another one. And if it doesn't, you'll never see it again. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: that's all about testing, right? Yeah. Have you ever cooked with gin? Because I cook with gin all the time. And that's why I have a cookbook about it. (laughs) Do you cook with various gins?
0: We do. We cook with gins all the time, actually. Our house gin in particular is quite delicious for cooking with. In fact, just last night we did a gin cream sauce with our pasta. So we had our pigs this year that we harvested. So we had some fresh ground pork, some of our house gin, a little bit of tomato sauce, onions and garlic. Keep it nice and simple. You know, the juniper and the pork go together so well. Yeah. Um, and actually, juniper goes well with almost any meat, in particular beef. Like one of our favorites is beef tenderloin with brown sugar and juniper berries all crushed up and then coated on it. And Then you do a gin cream sauce on top of it. Absolutely scrumptious,
1: right? <laughs> I completely agree. So, yes, lamb, beef, pork, even chicken depending. Yeah on how you're doing it, but I agree. I have an amazing gin cream sauce that I make. So many amazing ways that you can use your yeah. and gin in cooking. And it's funny because one, it's awesome to speak to someone who actually gets it. But uh-huh. most people, when I mention you know, cooking with gin, they're like, huh, what? <laughs> but I'm like, it's the perfect thing to cook with. It's it made with <laughs> botanicals, which are herbs and spices. What do you think you're cooking with? <laughs>
0: Yeah, and we do a really fun one, actually, with gin called the tea-smoked duck breast, where we smoke our duck in rice and Earl Grey tea, and then you make a bit of an Earl Grey with the Earl Grey gin there. You make Mm -hmm. a little bit of an Earl Grey sauce to go with it, and then you get the tea-smoked Earl Grey duck with the Earl Grey gin sauce, and it's just, you just put those on little crostinis, and off you go, right?
1: Okay, we didn't talk about your feast gin yet Ah.
0: Yes, Which crazy ass kid? <laughs>
1: and because this has such a unique ingredient in it that I honestly have never seen before. And when I read <laughs> the label, I was like,
0: <laughs> "Oh so yes, our feast gin is made with."
1: Yeah, that's so it's actually
0: flavored with beef and juniper, because as I was just alluding, the combination of meat and juniper go together beautifully. And actually, if you taste it straight without any of the coffee in it, you will clearly taste that really nice beefiness. Yeah. But it's not overwhelming; it's not off-putting. In fact, the beverage itself, just straight, has got such a subtle and sophisticated flavor to it that you just keep coming back to it. We created our feast gin based on a product we did a couple of years ago called Pechuga. Okay. Which is a Mexican beverage that the mezcal makers use when you're making a mezcal, they'll make this pachuga for their familial adventure. So weddings, funerals, birthdays and stuff like that. And of course, this is really high alcohol and it's made out of chicken breasts. Pachuga means breasts in Spanish. Right. Of course. So we took that idea. We were very successful with our pachuga. Uh, In fact, we probably sold more Pachuga in Canada than the Mexicans ever have. And it was super popular with our audiences. And so I think the feast gin is going to be great. And so what we did was we took the beef idea instead of the chicken idea, mashed it with the juniper, a little bit of brown sugar and onions, rosemary, and then steeped all those ingredients together and then distilled them off. And you wind up with the feast gin, which has this very nice, earthy, sophisticated flavor that is uh, just super pleasant to drink straight. And then when you add a little bit of our espresso vodka to it, it just gives it that nice, rich, round, full-bodied, you can't quite taste the coffee, you can't, but you can still feel that gin come through, right?
1: Absolutely. I have to say, it's probably one of the most unique gins I've ever (laughs) had.
0: I will say it's not for everybody. We yeah. do get people who do not like it, nor do they like Pachuga. And when I made my Pachuga, originally I suspected that men would be the primary buyers for it, but no, women loved it. And I suspect that the same will be the case for our Feast Gin as well. I think that for some reason, women's palates tend to be a little bit more bent towards the more sophisticated flavor, and I suspect that we will find a very good audience. But I only made I think five or six cases of it, so it's pretty rare, right? Whether or not we ever do it again, you know, remains to be seen. All right.
1: just- well, I'm honored to have a bottle and it's really good. And I look forward to trying it in multiple different ways <laughs> over the <laughs> next <laughs> while.
0: So, yes. So going back to the Earl Grey gin, mm. the Earl Grey gin tastes great in a gin sour. So if you've got a little bit of lemon syrup and some egg white and you make up a gin sour, just like you do a whiskey sour with it, that is a very, very pleasant way of enjoying that real great gin.
1: Hey, wow. okay. uh, on, <laughs> <laughs> on my list. Okay. So I know you've been talking about other products and stuff. Do you yeah. guys just, you do tastings, tours, like what other kind of experiences do you have? Well,
0: for us, it's the experience of coming to the distillery is what we're all about. We are very, very personable in our distillery visiting experience. So we only do tastes and bottle sales and the odd tour every now and again. Depending on if people are interested or not. Mm -hmm. But our whole thing is we just slow the visits right down, do lots of stand up, basically. A lot of, you know, we get the laughing going pretty quick and free with my taste, but very miserly, of course, because people have to drive. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. I just kick back and really just talk about the experience of alcohol. I talk about how the gin is made. I talk about our vodkas, our fruit liqueurs, and stuff like that. And people will try a greater range of spirits that they would normally try sort of if they're just going to the liquor store. Mm -hmm. And the discoveries that they make really will help them make future alcohol choices, right? So we just keep it easy. And for us, this is a retirement project. So we don't care whether or not somebody buys something. You know, If they come in and they taste something, they don't like it, that's fine by us. But very rarely does that ever happen. People Mm will come in and yeah. Discover it now, You know we had no idea gin could be this delicious, or uh-huh. yeah. oh my god, your espresso vodka is fabulous. And what's notable about our espresso vodka is that there's no sugar in it. Yeah, uh, that's it's awesome. one of the only coffee liqueur or alcohols on the market worldwide right now that has no sugar in it right because almost everything else that you buy has a component of sugar because of the bitterness of coffee and so people are really attracted to that the no sugar concept or even in our fruit liqueurs very low sugar
1: yeah
0: and then we do something called an avocat which is a dutch egg liqueur and it is made of cream eggs sugar and vodka and we put all that sugar we don't use in any of our other spirits into that beverage (laughs) And of course, the classic is the 1970s fluffy duck, where you've got an ounce of gin, a couple ounces of avocado, and you top it up with your seven up. It is scrumptious.
1: (laughs) Yeah, on the sweet side. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I will never find somebody that will turn that down. It is a Fabulous cocktail. And again, 1970s, who knew? But to this day, you pour somebody a fluffy dot and they will go nuts for it. And it's a great way to display it got good quality gin as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, let's talk about a ginseng story. I'm sure you have lots of them because it's just you and your wife. So I'm sure things have often gone awry.
0: Well, we have a few, but I'll share one. I was working in a liquor store quite a few years ago. We had just had our first child or actually our only child and I needed to get a job so my wife told me to go get a job so I went I was working at a local liquor store in West Vancouver and we had a regular customer who would come in every now and again but anyway I'll get back to him in a moment. So I'm sitting there one afternoon training a new sales associate young Andrea who had come to work with us and it's a really quiet afternoon and we've got some Colin James on the stereo and we're just kind of tripping out. And she suddenly asks me, she says, you know, I wonder what would happen if Colin James walks in and he's listening to his music. You know, I wonder what he thinks. I said to her, I said, well, why don't you ask him? And sure enough, just as she asked this question, Colin James himself walked into the store and he was a regular customer there. Right. So I recognized him. So I said, well, why don't you ask him? And she turned around and there he was. (laughs) <laughs> and to his credit he totally went with it he said well you know if I walk into a store and the music's already playing he says I really like it he says you know it's really really cool he says but if I walk into the store and they put the music on because they know I'm there <laughs> he says that's no fun at all and he was a lot of fun to, to serve as a regular customer
1: and did he drink gin
0: he did Oh, there you go. He's
1: an East Coaster originally, isn't
0: he? Yeah, but he lives in West Vancouver now.
1: Yeah, Yeah, because East Coasters tend to be higher on the gin because we're closer to, you know, the UK and we have a lot of UK kind of influence here. So we have a lot of gin drinkers on the East Coast.
0: (laughs) Now, in those days, to be fair, gin was a pretty rudimentary product. I think it was even before the craft gins were starting to get going. So, you know, he would walk in and buy the usual stuff that you'd buy nowadays. But I think if I were still working at that liquor store and he walked in today, I think he would just go nuts for the selection of product that's available. I mean, not just from us. I mean, every distillery in British Columbia just does, you know, marvelous products. I mean, you've talked to Sheringham, who's noted for their Seaside Gin, which has got their wonderful seaweed in it. I know you've talked to Mad Lab in downtown Vancouver. They're a little bit more whiskey oriented, but their gins are very well respected in Vancouver. You know, they've done a real number with them out in the Okanagan Valley. You've got every kind of little distillery out there who, you know, derive their spirits from fruits, from honey, from, you know, the wheat barley mix that we do. So, you know, it's a pretty great environment for gin these days.
1: Absolutely is. And for the gin enthusiast, our time has come. <laughs>
0: okay, <laughs> Rejoice. Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, I was drinking gin back in the 90s. But it was basically, you know, your Bombay your and your Gort. And I didn't even know that there was a possibility of something else, but I still enjoyed it. And I drank it back then. And then once all these new flavors started coming, you know, in the last decade or so, it was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing.
0: (laughs) Well, like I say, gin is more like cooking. And ultimately, it's all of our inner chefs that are coming through here. It
1: is. And it's all about flavor. It's all about, oh, you know, yeah. with Jen. Gin Drink better. Yeah, absolutely. All righty. Is there anything else you'd like to share about anything before we sign off?
0: Well, I hope I haven't talked too much. Once I get going on this subject, I just... No, oh, no, there's no such thing. <laughs> Your editing job will be of uh, No, i really enjoyed speaking with you. I love talking about gin. Obviously, we're pretty small. You know, not everybody's going to have a chance to try our stuff. But, you know, if you're in Canada, I'll send you some. If you happen to be in BC, make the effort to come and find us. We're not easy to find. You know, we're... A tiny little distillery, it takes either an airplane or a boat trip to find us. So, you know, it takes a dedicated gin drinker, but we like to think the experience will be worth it. And we really appreciate being recognized by you, that's for sure. And who knows what will happen with this? Who knows? knows. is designed to shock you, right?
1: (laughs) Absolutely is. All right. And there you have it. Everything you ever wanted to know about Broomwood Estate Distillery, all their amazingly yummy products, their philosophy behind product development, and so, so much more. Thank you, Jeff, for being here today. It's been a really fun time.
0: It's been my pleasure and call again anytime, Heather.
1: Thank you. And thank you for listening. Be sure to leave us a review and check out the show notes for links to the Bruinwood estate distillery and the ginshop.ca for all your gin clothing and novelty needs until next time. Remember a true friend reaches for your hand and puts a glass of gin in it.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of ginspired brought to you by the ginshop.ca. If we've inspired you let us know by leaving us a comment and a review or
1: drop us a note at heather at the ginshop.ca. We may even read your email or feature your ginspirational story in an upcoming episode. And remember to follow us on
0: social media. Until next time, let the party be gin.